you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we are going through a series called uh, Life on Mission in the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts happens right after the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John start your New Testament where Jesus arrives, the promise of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Jesus dies for our sins, raises from the dead, and then ascends back to heaven and pours out his Holy Spirit on the church initially in Jerusalem. But Jesus said that we would be his witnesses in that city, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is why we're calling this Life on Mission, because the book of Acts, in a sense, continues today. The mission that was inaugurated 2,000 years ago continues as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, there's a pivotal turning point where we've seen the gospel break out in Jerusalem with the 12 apostles, Then we've seen a scattering because some of the deacons, we saw Stephen and Philip preaching the gospel. And Stephen was the first Christian martyr and Christians started to scatter all over the region into Judea. And Philip spread the gospel to Samaria. And now at this point, there is a villain in the book of Acts who will become the hero of our faith. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And his name eventually becomes the Apostle Paul. And today, you're going to get to see his conversion. You're going to get to see a life-changing encounter that he has that changed literally, not an understatement, changed the entire course of human history, changed the world. But beyond looking at his encounter with Jesus Christ, we're also going to see a pattern for our encounters with Christ and our own conversion story. And what that impact will have, not only on Paul's life, but yours as well. And so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22 together. But to get us started, I'm just going to read the first nine verses and pray for us. If you're taking notes, today's sermon is entitled, A Life-Changing Encounter. So follow along as I read verses 1 through 9 and then pray for our sermon today. Verse 1 of chapter 9. But... Notice the contrast there, but, in contrast to Philip, the evangelist, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, it's the high priest in Judaism in Jerusalem, and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's another name for Christianity, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Arise and enter the city, and you will be told where you are, what you are to do. Well, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your perfect word. We thank you for Jesus, Jesus who is alive 
and not only revealing himself to the great saints of old, but here presently revealing himself to men and women, even in this room online, all over the world. Thank you for the resurrected Christ and the life-changing encounters that he brings to every person that comes to him, every life that is interrupted by him, every change of course and change of direction because of him. We pray, Jesus, that even today that men and women in this room would have a life-changing encounter with you today. Or those who are already saved, Lord, that we would remember our first encounter with you and be grateful and see lives changed because of the change that you've brought to us, to us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we're gonna see this unpack in chapter nine, This story, which is powerful and profound and overwhelming, the glory of Jesus, the light that blinds Paul, changes his whole life. It's so profound, in fact, that the author of Acts recounts this three times. First, this happening, and then later, twice, Paul shares his testimony, shares his story, and recounts back to this. And it reappears, just as we saw in the book of Galatians, where he goes back and says, listen, I didn't even hear the gospel from James or from Peter or any of these guys. I heard it directly from Jesus Christ himself. This was a miracle. This was a miraculous encounter. And there are parts of this testimony, let's be clear, that aren't really replicable, right? We talk about having a Damascus Road experience, and some of this is really rooted and anchored in biblical history, and most of us won't be blinded. Most of us won't hear the audible voice of Jesus calling us out for our sin, though some of us will. Some have had that, even in the 1040 window where we're focused on reaching, where Jesus shows up in dreams, and Jesus shows up in powerful healing encounters. And so, but if you're a Christian, if you've been saved by Jesus, then you have had a life-changing encounter. You have encountered the risen Christ. We don't enter into the Christian faith apart from a miracle. Did you know that? It takes a miracle to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, and God is committed to that miracle, to change our lives. And so there are patterns, even from this miraculous encounter that are unique, there are other things that carry over, and we're going to talk about both in today's sermon today. A life-changing encounter. Many of you heard my testimony where I was in high school in a rock band with my twin brother, Matthew. If you're new here and saying, who's that guy that looks like the pastor? That's my brother, and we were in a rock band. We were playing at a church. We were not a Christian band. We had foul language in our band. We were writing about girls who crushed our hearts, ripped them out, you know, dark and evil. Sounded really cool. We thought we were really important people, you know, (laughs) ninth graders, tenth graders. And we played at this church, and we didn't have any Christian music, so we just covered Christian music. Because I grew up in the church, but I was not born again. And so we just listened to Christian music and played it because we got our band's name on the radio. So I thought, sweet, another way to promote myself. Because at this point in my life, my life was all about promoting Stefan. And I had leadership gifts, and I used them. I used those leadership gifts to build this band, to build this organization, to build this business, if you will. I mean, literally in the hallways at high school, we were pawning off CDs and T-shirts. And after we played at this church... A born-again Christian shared the gospel with my twin brother, Matthew, and then he came back to me and shared the gospel. And through that witness, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin for the first time. 
And I realized that I had made an idol out of this band thing and this music thing. And I had put myself up on a pedestal. And Jesus spoke audibly and said, you can't worship this and me. And I realized that I had to take my CDs out of my backpack. Not because CDs are evil, but because what they represented. And instead, I decided for the first time to put a Bible in my backpack. And for the rest of my life, to this day, now I'm promoting Jesus. And using that leadership gift that wasn't even just a spiritual gift, something I was born with now, to advance the cause of Christ. To spread the gospel of Christ and to make the name of Jesus Christ great. If my name would be forgotten from the earth and Jesus' name would be glorified, I would be thrilled with that. Hallelujah. It's a miracle, right? And each one of you has a story like that. And as we look at Paul's testimony today, if you have that testimony, give glory to God for that. And if you don't, I pray that this gives you hope that Jesus could save you even today and rescue you, that you could encounter him because he's here. He's alive. He's risen and he interrupts our lives just like he interrupted Paul's today. There are three ways, three changes we see in Paul's life and our lives from this testimony that we're going to break out, break apart from verses 1 through 22. The first, what I already read, verses 1 through 9, a life-changing encounter, a life-changing encounter with Jesus does three things. First, it arrests your sinful mistakes. A life-changing encounter with Jesus, the first point will be up on the screen, it arrests your sinful mistakes. If you're new to Manoah and haven't been following along, I want to get you, catch you up to speed with this point in biblical history because this is the third time that we've encountered Saul in the book of Acts. There's the word but Saul in contrast to the others like Philip before because Philip was an evangelist. Philip was preaching the gospel. Philip was spreading the good news of Jesus, but Saul. But Saul, what? He was breathing murderous threats, right? You're introduced to this guy, and he's certainly not an advocate for Jesus, right? He is opposing Jesus. He is against Jesus. And again, it's the third time he appears. If you would just flip one page over to chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 58. As they are stoning Stephen, who is preaching the gospel. This is one of the deacons. Verse 58. They cast him out of the city. And stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was there approving of his execution. Verse Chapter 8, now slide over to verse 1. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all of the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Listen to this, verse 3. But Saul, but Saul, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is the but Saul that emerges in chapter 9, verse 1. As Philip is spreading the gospel, we now telescope back to Jerusalem. And there's Saul still brooding. If there's a Christian somewhere outside of Jerusalem that's still worshiping Jesus, he will hunt them down, drag them back to Jerusalem to arrest them, try them. It says he's even breathing murder against them. If they die like Stephen, he would be happy if they were wiped off of the face of the planet. But Saul, 
He's basically going for what we would say in modern terms, an extradition, right? He's going to get permission from the religious authorities to extradite people from these synagogues that are scattered all over Jerusalem. So he's got his letters in place from the top authority saying, this dude is approved by the high priest, by the top, like by the president of the United States in our religion to come into your synagogue and say, anybody here believe in Jesus? Okay, you're coming with me and drag them back to Jerusalem. That is why he is on the road to Damascus. You see that, right? He is on his way to squash the Christian movement now at this point called the way. Any idea why we called it the way? We just sang about it, right? You are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. John 14, check it out later. Jesus came to make a way to God and all of a sudden, almost in probably derogatory fashion, they started talking, they're part of the way, you know? And Christians said, sure, we're part of it. Because the word Christianity hasn't even been invented at this point. Soon Christians will be called Christians for the first time, by the way, in Antioch. It hasn't even happened yet. That's where we are in church history. So they're part of the way. He's going after them to bring them back to Jerusalem. And Jesus, he's going to arrest them. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to arrest you. See that? He's going to try to capture them. Jesus says, that's not going to happen. I'm going to capture you, Saul of Tarsus. He's going to drag them back to another place that they didn't plan to. He says, no, I'm going to drag you out of your plan, Saul of Tarsus. I have a whole new plan for your life. And Jesus does that for each one of us when he interrupts our lives. He arrests our sinful mistakes. And I use the word mistake purposefully here because it was sinful, but he thought it was the right thing. Right? Like he thought he was doing the right thing. He even thought he was following God. And whether you're religious or irreligious, I found this to be true of a lot of people who are living in deep sin. They still think they're doing the right thing. They think they're on the good guys. I was with one of my nephews last, yesterday, and he was all talking about, is this the good guys or the bad guys? He just thinks he's a little guy. Everything, the world's in good guys, bad guys, good guys, bad guys. A lot of times, the bad guys think they're the good guys. That's what Saul thought. He said, I, I thought I was on the right team, and all along I was on the wrong team. And Jesus interrupts there and not only convicts us of sin, for the first time we say, holy smokes, I didn't even think that was sin. He first shows us our sin so that we can repent of it. Jesus literally blinds Saul so that he could open his eyes. You know that great hymn that we love to sing, Amazing Grace, right? We say grace changes everything here. Remember how it starts. This is this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. We enter into this world spiritually blind. And Paul, in a very vivid way, displays to us that God literally had to blind him physically so that spiritually he would see. But for each one of us, there comes a moment where the first miracle, if you will, that God does in our lives is helps us to see our sin. 
not so that we would wallow in condemnation, but so that we would come to the Savior to have that sin forgiven. A life-changing encounter with Jesus arrests your sinful mistakes. And if you've never encountered Christ where, like me as a teenager, I realized for the first time, I'm lost apart from you. The, the road that I'm on is leading to destruction, and I thought it was a good highway. I was committed to building this highway. I was committed to driving down this highway, and all of a sudden, there's a big stop put in there and said, do a U-turn. You are on the wrong road. That is the first thing that a life-changing encounter with Jesus does, where you now agree with Jesus that you are wrong, and he is right. And he says to him, he says, I don't know even who you are. And Jesus is so kind to say, He doesn't say this, just some generic God, believe in whoever you want, doesn't matter, all paths get to me. He doesn't say that, does he? No, he says, I am Jesus. You want to hear a voice from heaven, God in heaven? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Well, how can I be persecuting Jesus? He's in heaven, he's untouchable. That's powerful to consider. That to oppose Jesus' work on earth to persecute believers, to arrest Christians. It's not just persecuting you and me. We are the body of Christ. It is persecuting Jesus is what he says. That if you oppose his work, you oppose not just his activity, you're opposing Jesus Christ himself. And he says, Paul, Saul at this point, (laughs) let me get your attention. The road that you are taking that you thought was the right road to arrest Christians, I am here to arrest you. A life-changing encounter with Jesus arrests your sinful mistakes. Secondly, a life-changing encounter with Jesus welcomes you into fellowship. Welcomes you into fellowship. Verses 10 through 16, follow along. So he hasn't eaten or drank for three days. He's hungry, he's thirsty. He's led blindly into Damascus. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias, your name, to come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he is here, excuse me, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name, including me. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. That's before the nations, the non-Jewish people. And kings and the children of Israel, verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. A life-changing encounter with Jesus welcomes you into fellowship. Now, there's a lot of details in this passage. In particular, we'll circle back with his suffering for Christ and going to the nations. But the thing I want to draw your attention to is this. Not only does Jesus interrupt Saul of Tarsus, blind him on the road, and send him to a house to wait and pray, 
He sends a believer, a mature believer. Now, this Ananias, he's not, there's an Ananias, it's the high priest. He's not that guy. There's another Ananias and Sapphira who were struck dead earlier in Acts. Not that guy, right? Popular name back then, Ananias. And he is from this region. He is well-respected, we find out later in the book of Acts, by not only the Christians, but even by the Jews. Uh, He is a lawful guy, a very well-revered guy, but he believes in Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. He's the very people that Saul of Tarsus has come up to to find and drag back to Jerusalem. That's the Ananias here living in Damascus, worshiping probably still in the synagogues, but as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus not only interrupts Saul, but he goes to Ananias in a vision and says, I want you to go and retrieve this guy. He's praying over here. And he says, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> it's a, I love that. But Ananias responds. This is the gentle pushback in our prayer life. But God, come on. Right? Um, if you want to have mercy on Saul of Tarsus, you do that on your own terms over here. But I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to enter into this. I don't want to touch this guy. I don't want to lay hands on this guy. I don't want to pray over this guy. This guy is, this guy's crazy. I want to stay as far away from this guy as possible. But the Lord says to him, no, 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 Ananias. He's praying. I prepared him for you and you for him. You go to the guy that was just described in verse one as breathing threats and murders against men like you. You go over to that murderous guy who has friends with the high priest and has letters from him. You go to his house right now and tell him, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm gonna pray for you right now. (laughs) What would you do if you're Ananias? Ah! (laughs) All right, this better be the Lord or I'm dead meat, right? Because by the way, Ananias doesn't have the benefit of the encounter. Like he doesn't see the blinding light, right? He's not in that room. So he's just hearing and saying, go to this house, you'll find him. He's ready for you. How scary would that be to walk into that room thinking this could be a trap? I mean, this, this could be game over for Ananias. But Jesus has told me not only to go to this guy, but to pray for this guy, that he's going to regain his sight from me, which is also a miracle to step out in faith because we believe in miracles, right? But not every time we pray, healing happens. So I'm supposed to pray for you and you're going to get your vision back. Let's do this, Saul. But he obeys, and I love this. And chapter, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 19, just slide down there, spoiler alert. Not only did Saul get saved, his eyes are open, but look at this. For some days he was with the disciples at where? At Damascus. So consider this. Saul has not traveled to Damascus to join the church in Damascus. Would you agree? He wasn't looking to become an active, committed member of the Church of Jesus Christ in Damascus. He wasn't looking to start tithing and supporting the ministry and mission. He was going to destroy the church and the very church who is quivering in their boots, afraid of this guy, is now sent to retrieve him, not only to retrieve him, but to welcome him into their fellowship. Do you see it? I used to do a lot of prison ministry one or two churches ago. A bigger church, we had prison ministry. I have some friends here who do prison ministry. And I talked to my friends who got out of the prisons, who were joining the church, but they would always feel like they had to lay low. 
They said, like, if people knew, if those people knew who I'd been, what I had done, they would lock the doors of that church and never let me in. I said, that's not true. We all have a past. We've all made mistakes. These people, folks often got saved in the prison through the ministries we were doing there and saying, this is what Jesus does. This is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And if Saul of Tarsus could be welcomed into the church of Damascus, then brothers and sisters, anybody is welcome here at Manoa Community Church. Can I get an amen? Amen. Anybody that's encountered the life-changing, life-transforming work of Jesus Christ, we're not talking about, he's not trying to go in and be a fake Christian. He is a baby Christian. He doesn't have it all figured out, but he's encountered Christ, and that church says, we will welcome him. We will go to him. We will pray for him. We will receive him. And from this base, Saul of Tarsus will become the Apostle Paul to reach the world for Jesus Christ. The very place that he went to destroy is the very place that welcomed him with open arms and said, come on in. If Jesus has received you, we receive you. That is the kind of community that Jesus is forming all over the world. Because a life-changing encounter isn't just an individual experience, though it's that. It's a corporate experience that each one of us have had. And it binds us together so that Paul can say to Ananias, you know Jesus too? My Jesus? And Ananias can say to Saul, if you had heard my mistakes, my past, they're not the same as yours. But what binds us together is that every person in this room has come to the Savior for forgiveness. Because every person in this room has stopped pretending that we're perfect and have it all figured out. A life-changing encounter with Jesus individually transforms us, but also pulls us into fellowship. And if Saul can be welcomed into fellowship, all people can be welcomed through an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the second thing that we see here. Jesus is committed to building his church, even more committed than we are. Our but Lord, but Lord is confronted with the Lord saying to us, go. Twice the Lord tells him, go here. He tells us to do the same. Go and retrieve those who have encountered me. Thirdly and finally, a life-changing encounter with Jesus not only arrests your sinful mistakes, welcomes you into fellowship, but finally strengthens you for mission strengthens you for mission, verses 17 to 22. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately things like something, excuse me, like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength. 
and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. A life-changing encounter with Jesus strengthens you for mission. At this point, Saul is a broken man. He is a weary man. He is a confused man. He's a hungry and a thirsty man. He's, though amazed by Jesus, fearful of Jesus, and at this point does not appear to have Jesus living inside of him, which is why Ananias lays hands on him, not only to receive Christ, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? He lays hands on him. He regains his sight. He's a blind man that now is healed. He's a man devoid of the Spirit that now is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's also a man that's super hungry that the church feeds, right? He's, he's filled with food and strength. And, but twice we're told here, after he receives the food and then later at the end, that Saul increased all the more in strength. That this man who thought that he was strong actually found out he was really weak. But in that point of weakness, in his lowest moment, God found him, God healed him, God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and God empowered him with strength to not only go to those synagogues, but to preach Jesus in the very same synagogues in Damascus that he intended to arrest the Christians. Isn't that incredible? I don't believe you. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. The very same place. Here he comes. He's coming for us. Comes up to the pulpit. Got his papers. Those are probably the papers. He is the Christ. What? He's the son of God. Let me prove it to you. What? We just heard what this guy was about to do. And now he's. Empowered and strengthened for mission. Jesus said earlier to Ananias, and Paul goes back to it, he's my chosen instrument to go to the world. I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for me. Now, once again, some of that's unique to him, right? Saul will play, Paul will play a unique role in Christian history that you and I will never replicate. And yet, it's theologically right to say this. If you're a Christian... You have been chosen by God, amen? Before the foundation of the world, like Saul, amen? You are his chosen instrument. And if you are filled with the Spirit, Acts 1-8, you will be his witnesses and you will receive power and strength when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be his witnesses, amen? So you might not have to go to the synagogues in Damascus, But God will fill you with his spirit when you encounter him. You are chosen by him and you are sent by him to fulfill the mission of God in your life, in your day, in 2020, in Havertown, in greater Philadelphia, to the ends of the earth. That's what the living Savior still is doing and that's where Paul's testimony is a pattern for you and for me. Because we might not be able to preach the gospel better than Paul. But we'll never preach a better gospel than Paul. Or a worse go. Paul may be able to preach the gospel better than you. But he never preached a better gospel than you. The same message that Jesus gave to him. 
He has given to you and to me to speak the words of life. And the same zeal that Saul had before he was converted has now been turned a 180 where that very same zeal is now repurposed by God. God has grabbed a hold of his mistakes and said, I can use this. I can use this zeal. I can use this passion. I can use this ability to go anywhere and do anything for God. And I'm going to turn it on his head and repurpose it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And God can do that for you and for me, brothers and sisters. He can take the music that Matt is playing for the devil and get him up here on the stage to play music for Jesus Christ. He can take a leader like Stephen who's using his gifts of speaking and leadership and turn it on its head and say, I'm gonna use that now for me, Stephen. Are you okay with that? You belong to me now. And whatever the things are in your life, you might be here today so far from Christ. Feel like God could never use me. Not only can he use you, he will use you. And the very same things in your life that you might be using right now to sin against him are the very th same things that God intends to redeem, to glorify himself through your life. A life-changing encounter with Jesus Jesus arrests our sinful mistakes. He welcomes us into fellowship. And he strengthens each one of us for the mission, the unique mission that he's called you to, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen.